talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome back to another riveting episode of More Like The Worst Wing podcast. Uh, I'm Dave. And I'm Stu. And we're here to discuss the eighth episode of the first season entitled Enemies. Enemies. It sounds profound. And it's not at all. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Let's just start off by saying this is a hot mess of an episode, and it's probably the worst one we've done so far just yeah. in terms of episode of television i would uh, recommend as, that as an entertainment product <laughs> it fails it, it's almost like if you are watching these along with us i would just warn you in advance to not bother with this one. yeah go ahead and skip uh <laughs> let's let's we'll give you the let me give you the paragraph uh summary here from the fan wikia which is an excellent resource for this sort of thing a crucial banking bill is at risk when politics when poli- oh, sorry, when political rivals of environmentally sensitive President Bartlett attach a land use rider to the bill that would allow strip mining some of the Montana wilderness. Meanwhile, CJ tries to kill a story that the chief executive chastised the vice president during a cabinet meeting. An overworked Leo isn't too keen on his daughter Mallory dating Sam. <laughs> and just like, just that description makes it sound like uh, what exactly what this is, which is a bad workplace sitcom. <laughs> yeah, this was the first time around where the really true TV tropes like left over from the early 90s came through in the, the writing, like the stage running, the character, any of this stuff. It just felt like a throwback to something that would be at home in an episode of family matters right yeah it just it feels super dated uh we'll we'll you know just overall and it's weird because the rest of the show is relatively groundbreaking for its time uh we did some minor research and found out that the writer and director team of this episode directed only this episode and (laughs) they they were not invited back (laughs) yeah uh and sorkin is not credited at all on this episode so i will give sorkin some credit he has no responsibility for this stinker yeah this was farmed out to the uh the b team um of writers Right, and I guess maybe they gave them some rules, like you can't tackle anything too important because, like, the A team has like dibs on it or something. Or you can't write anything that needs follow up, uh, mm-hmm. or like any major character development. Right, it can't. You can't have anything. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna give you a minor. You know, uh, oh, can I have Sam and Mallory date? Well, not really, but. <laughs> well, and it's, it's that sort of stricture, I think, that places it exactly square in the milieu of like this was a sitcom episode. Because right, nothing this, important happens this episodically. Is, uh, what's the term? A bottle episode. Yes, perfect. Uh, where it, uh, it's, a, it's a budget episode where they're just on location. They don't have to do anything expensive. You just get the actors and have them stand in a room and talk at each other for a while. Yep, everything can be done on set. So uh, our first our first plot line and the major, I'll put heavy air quotes around major, is the banking bill plot line. Uh, so basically... There's this banking bill, and we get very few specifics about it, though Mandy does uh, say something about it lowering credit card interest rates and helping with uh, deposits not getting held as often. 
Uh, so it has like some consumer side banking benefits. Um, I don't know what the actual banking regulation side of it is, but the banking lobby is pissed about it, clearly, because of course they are. And so their uh, tactic is to attach a land use rider amendment to the bill that would allow them to start strip mining this area of Montana. Yeah, and here's where it comes out. It's sort of bizarre because we first sort of we, we hear about this bill almost obliquely, but there is a scene where the president like comes kind of skipping out of the Oval Office. And yes. <laughs> it's, it's like and I wrote down it. He sounds like an addict saying cocaine ideas. Yeah. This whole he's, time. He's just like bipolar as hell. He is fully manic. Like <laughs> yeah. he, he is having he is he is having a great and, day and he's just flying high on this banking bill. I'm not again, we don't get so many of the details on it, but I think we're meant to believe that initially before this news about the rider breaks mm-hmm. is that they have the votes in the bag. To just straight yes. up pass this bill. Correct. So yeah, that sort of sets it's the guaranteed stage. It's a win. We've already got it in, in the bag. Um, and uh, m- much like I'll keep coming back to this theme of our characters never get a big win, which is actually kind of subverted by the end of this episode, where they do go for the big win instead of the compromise, which I'll note as a, a weird exception. Uh, here we get the reverse of it, where they start out with a big win, and it gets slowly eroded <laughs> throughout the course <laughs> of the episode. For the rest of the time. Yeah. 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 The big win becomes worse and worse and worse and worse. And so this leads into sort of um, the uh, continuation of the drama between the president and the vice presidents. Uh, oh, my God. They host, a, they host a meeting with, I guess, members of Congress who they are considering. It's the cabinet. Oh, excuse me. It's a cabinet meeting. Yes. It's a cabinet meeting. And yeah. the I guess from what we are meant to understand is that the president finds these meetings somewhat... Uh, mundane and pointless pointless but right. uh john hoynes starts off this meeting and like goes into a shtick about whatever um priorities the administration has and what's important mm-hmm. and he is then interrupted when jed walks into the room all fucking manic and kind of basically just sits down and has a little slap fight yeah and it's it's really weird and pointless uh, it's about that the president says that our first priority should be finding a way to work with Congress, and then the president's like, shouldn't our first priority be towards the American people? <laughs> and it's like some super sick own, and it's just like, are you going to be that pedantic about it? Like, I'm trying to help the people by getting stuff through Congress. That's clearly what I was meaning to say. And so this, it also just, it's very confusing because if he is that concerned about the vice president's representation of the admin that he bothers to dig in on him in a what is what is going to become a publicized sort of um not quite scandal but like a thing within the cabinet if he's that concerned about it the vice president isn't particularly important unless he is unless he is vested with that importance by the executive. Right. That That's the most insane part about all this is like, I guess the show is portraying this as a fight between equals when the vice president is politically a joke of a position, like where you have literally no power well, and I feel in terms like, of political power. And I feel like at some point later in the show, this becomes a, like a point of drama. It's basically like, well, yeah, the VP doesn't do any and I or I feel like 
in a in some episode or whatever down the road, Hoynes bitches about the fact that he is not actually vested in any power. Right. Like he's been left yeah. out of all the important stuff. Like the point of the vice president is to be a a heartbeat away from the president. He is literally there to be a backup in case the main guy dies. Like that's the point of the vice president, and in in theory to cast tie-breaking votes in the Senate, but in practice happens rare, if effectively never. Yeah, and he there's a brief scene here where Hoynes is also again talking to the press. He's going on about how it's the office of the vice president, and I think he he's talking mm-hmm. to CJ and calls yes. her out and is like, look. If you're going to disrespect me, keep in mind you're disrespecting the office of the vice president. But he just, it's, if he's already, and from what we're led to understand, it's that he is a influential and powerful generic politician who yes. took this job in order to deliver, quote unquote, the South to the right. Bartlett campaign. So yeah. why would he refer to himself as the vice president? If that is a step I, down from, like, his normal existence. I, it's, it's very bizarre. It's, this is, like, I'm going to have to chalk this up on the writers or something, because I think they handle they handle him better later on, or at least I remember them doing it. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but it's just, no vice president, like, okay, well, here's the subtext with Hoynes is that he wants the job next, obviously. He has, like, made no bones about the fact that I'm I'm 15 years younger than you, he says to the president. Oh, yeah, he actually says it in this episode. Yeah, so, like, clearly, you know, he's saying, like, I'm coming for your job after you're done, (laughs) you know? That is the unspoken implication of every line Hoynes says, is that he's gunning for the president's job. Um, And you would think that that wouldn't be a thing threat because it shouldn't be a problem yeah. because of term limits and you of course know, you're gonna like let's Bartlett's line up a strong candidate eight years yeah. and like yeah you want to have a good candidate for your party and here's the thing they're supposed to be part of the same party and i just never feel it like yeah it feels like coins is secretly a republican or something with how much they fight and i it's it's almost unnecessary that they even have the drug because again what is the threat there is right. Hoynes, and I th- I believe it's actually made patent later on in the show where he starts to talk about primarying his own party or yeah, some I shit. Yeah, I think they talk There's about that. There's a reference that to-, to it at some well, point. Well, um, I know a senator Stackhouse. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A primary threatens a primary run um, during their second election or slightly before it. Um, and then I think, yeah, the VP might also make some threats along those lines at some point later on. So, but ultimately, ultimately, this whole thing is just pointless character squabbling, like to be mined for drama when there is no real threat at all in the situation. Yeah, and it comes down in the end as as you go through this particular episode, there comes a point where um, they're sitting in. The Oval, I think it's the Oval Office or like the president's mm-hmm. private office or whatever, and they, he, they sit there and they like stare at each other and right. like raise their voices slightly and right. they subtly threaten each other. It's like, but nothing happens. We just right. sit there and understand that there's enmity between these two characters for for a reason. A reason? Question mark? <laughs> yep, yeah, sure thing. And that that pretty much wraps up the pointless drama between Coins <laughs> and Bartlett. Uh, let's talk about my next favorite plot line, which is Sam and Mallory, and the almost went to the opera date. All right, so then our second 
definitely a major plot line of the episode in in that it involves the most running time uh is Sam and Mallory. Sam and Mallory. Uh, yeah, uh, Mallory being uh, Leo's daughter, uh chief of staff Leo McGarry, uh's daughter that Sam met on the fir- on the uh first episode when she was bringing her fourth grade class to the White House. Uh she Okay, so there's this whole thing where her and <laughs> you sound Leo so sit down. Yeah, I I already am. So her and Leo sit down for breakfast, and a weird thing about a six dollar and fifty cup of coffee. And uh, Leo asks about how's how's his ex wife doing, her mom, and she's like, "Why don't you ask her?" He's like, "Well, we're split up now. It's a little awkward." Uh, and then she asks for his opera tickets that him and his wife used to have, uh, since they're not using them anymore. He gives them to her. She goes to Sam and says, hey, I've got opera tickets. Would you like to go with me? And Sam is like, hell yes, I would love to go with you. Um, because who wouldn't? Because <laughs> Mallory's uh, smoking and hot. Who and... and who wouldn't want to go to the opera with Rob Lowe either? <laughs> Uh, so, you know, they both look incredible when they're dressed mm-hmm. up in their opera clothes. Um, and but so uh, then Sam goes to Leo to do the uh, gentlemanly thing of uh, asking the father of the daughter, is it okay if I date your adult daughter who has agency, Leo McGarry? <laughs> yes, you as the gatekeeper of your 30-year-old daughter's uh, uh, romantic oh interests. This is a little weird. So, but whatever. So he asks, Leo says he's fine with it. Leo is clearly not fine with it, uh, as evidenced by the fact that he then assigns uh, Sam a busy work task of writing a happy 50th birthday message to some bureaucrat somewhere. The Assistant Secretary uh, of the Interior. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and he does this as a way of uh, delaying Sam from getting to the date which then makes Mallory basically go through the exact same thing that Leo's ex-wife just went through of evaluating this man as, is he too devoted to his job for me to have a romantic relationship with? And the dynamics of everything that I've just laid out right now are just super Fucking fucked. atrocious. <laughs> and so the other thing is that there's a very brief interlude in here where Je- uh, the president and Leo sit down and they talk about um, Jenny Leo's wife and mm-hmm. where the things going on, and the the president is just still fucking with Leo about his divorce. Yeah. Like he he hasn't changed his tune a bit. And what makes this so infuriating is that Leo can recognize that Jed is being shitty to him about these family dynamics, but instead of right. instead of working with that and coming to understand his relationship with his daughter, his relationship with his wife, he just fucking displaces it on to Sam and starts fucking with him. And it's, it's yeah. very, very, um, it's, it's toxic. Yeah. It's just, it's all super weird. And the dynamic is super gross. And it feels like they're basically trying to like teach Mallory a lesson, like in a very arrested development, like, and that's why yeah, well, and, you always respect your dad. Well, and, and Mallory ends up not getting what she wants. They they go through right. all this stuff, and you come through it expecting there to be this resolution of, oh, we all get together, talk about our feelings, and then there's a conclusion that is favorable to our young protagonist. And it's nope. It is in fact a hundred percent not that. It is right. Sam. <laughs> 
continues down this idiotic path of writing a stupid birthday message that, frankly, he goes through the credential check of being like, hey, I'm way overqualified for this shit. Can't you farm this out to a staffer? And then just takes it on and says, no, instead of raising my voice or or fighting back about this, I'm just going to do it the best I can and spend all this time on it. Right. No, but the president said I had to write yeah. it. It makes it special. <laughs> like, the same president who's being a manic idiot for half the episode is like... <laughs> yeah, oh and, so, and so nothing happened. So instead, and this is actually probably the... it's I'm reading super deep into it, but the subtext is Mallory then goes on, like, a coffee date with her dad. Mm-hmm. And that juxtaposition is super weird. Because mm-hmm. it's a perversion. it's mm-hmm. a perversion of the romantic interest of Mallory and Sam with the mm-hmm. workaholicness of both of the male characters that reflects mm-hmm. back onto Leo as her father. It's just like, Ew. not only that at the very end, the thing Mallory does that makes Sam the happiest is compare him to her father. <sighs> and he says, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me is to compare me to your dad. Holy shit. Ooh, I mean, boy. you know, in, in, in my life, my wife has compared me favorably to her father in times past, but it has never been in a context like, hey, do you want to go on a date? And instead, I'm going to go on a date with my dad. It's like, right. Oh, man. And it's just, uh, it's just, if again, the president gets in on it and starts listing off Leo's accomplishments for the day to make Mallory feel like guilty about like, you know, chastising her dad for driving away her mom effectively. Oh, like, it's super fucking strange. It's like you would think he would come in and list off Sam's accomplishments or something to be yeah, like, exactly. why aren't you talking about how busy look at, Sam look at the is? Important, yeah, he's important. Look at the important work Sam is doing. Can't you understand that, like, you know, opera has to come second sometimes, but that's not at all what happens. No. Oh, God, this whole, like, thank God this writing team goes by the wayside because Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a quick aside about the opera thing. Opera is just used as a running gag throughout the thing of like, ugh, who would want to go to the opera? Am I right? I love the opera. I fucking and, love live music. Yeah, I love great. opera. I like <laughs> this is the same crowd that will later go on to fetishize <laughs> yeah. Hamilton up the ass. And they're turning up their noses at opera. Yeah, and it's like, come on, your your audience here is a bunch of turbo nerds, like you know, you know, 15, 20% of the people who watch this show are favorably inclined for like some, you know, some Wagner. Yeah. Not necessarily the it's, fascist part of Wagner, but whatever. Here's the thing. <laughs> here's the best part is that at the end of it all, you know, Mallory says like to, to her dad, like, hey, how about you and I go to the opera as, as a way of making up instead? And Leo's like, uh, after the day I had you, you want to inflict the opera on me? They were his tickets. Yeah. yeah. They're his subscription tickets. Why, why would you? He is a fan of the why opera. Why would you have them? Other, I got it. It's so scatterbrained, like. I just don't get it. It's just bad writing. Like, like I really want to emphasize to our listeners that this episode, I'm not bitching about the politics. I'm just <laughs> bitching about bad writing of an entertainment product. It should be excluded from the canon. Basically, we need to we need to isolate this out and just excise it from the course of the show. It's, it's that bad. <laughs> uh, and then, 
Oh, so, and then finally, in a further, most meta thing of all, is that Sam and Toby have this sub minor running subplot about them being off their game writing-wise, where both just, you know, they're both just trying to write various things, and they're both agreeing that, like, hmm, nope, our talent's gone, we're just, you know, we're in a writer's block, we're just, you know, things aren't working right, and it just feels super meta and fourth wall breaking, like the writers themselves are just admitting, like, I don't know how to write this episode, man. Fuck, fuck, Guys, fuck, we phoned it in this time around, and, and I think people can tell. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm so scared. It's like, like if Sam, if Sam and Toby are meant to be the 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 mouthpiece of the writers, and they absolutely are, then what does it say when they're bitching about their own bad writing? Yeah, I uh, just I. So the show wraps up with a you know the the conclusion to the political, I guess thread. The banking bill. Yeah, the banking bill. The of banking land bill use rider. Land use writer thre- thread. Yeah. Yeah, it it comes the other in main non opera dating plot. So. It comes in a kind of an 11th hour thing where they've been sitting around brainstorming how to fix this issue. And we are again set up with the sort of the PR consultant, Mandy, having one opinion on the solution versus the communications team, the chief of staff, like Josh and Toby on the other side being like, we're going to stick to our guns. And if they want this in, then fuck them. Right. So Mandy's argument is just do the politically expedient thing. Let the stupid Land Rider bill go through because it's more important that we get the banking bill passed so that I can go to the media and tell them all the good things I want to tell them about the banking bill. And then Josh and Toby say, no, that's stupid because then they're going to do it on every other bill we do from now until eternity. Which is true. Which, of course, they will. (laughs) Uh, And that will be a recurring plot line throughout the the uh the rest of the show is awful amendments being tacked onto good bills um so then so their argument is that you know no fight it and fight fight it hard and get it passed clean and mandy's basically just like roll up and and call a tie a win she actually explicitly says that (laughs) well and their argument is like the the argument against fighting it is that it's it's your quote-unquote it's your own bill which uh, it would look bad to veto your own bill uh, okay but once it's modified in a substantial way can't you and her argument is just like i can't you just disavow ownership of it? right like Absolutely. who cares at that point yeah. it's their bill yes you know you can you can communicate that the bill has changed and thus we're voting against it now because it's bad and it's going to strip mine this part of montana that we don't mm-hmm. want strip mined yeah absolutely so. Uh, so, but then in in the true apropos chef's kiss mwah, of, <laughs> of bad writing, they find a deus ex machina at the 11th hour that can solve solve the conflict perfectly without having to take one of the two bad options thus presented. And that deus ex machina is, drumroll please, the Antiquities Act. <sighs> Uh, which Josh discovers in a brilliant little Jeff <laughs> like Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum-esque thing, where Donna says something is antiquated, and he goes antiquated, antiquated. antiquated. That's it. A- <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, Ant- <laughs> antiquated, antiquated. Wait a minute. That's <laughs> we'll it. Give, we'll give the aliens a cold. <laughs> like it's, it's explicitly like. I, I also my other favorite name for this phenomenon is the House 949 stare, meaning at 9:49 p.m. when there's about 
11 minutes left in the episode, oh. <laughs> House, House gets this stare of realization on his mind and finally cures the case. Yeah, and it's this, it's a bolt of the, from the blue triggered by, you know, kind of the, the careless remark or whatever. But again, it's none of Mr. So, uh, sorry, the actual machina is that the president can use the Antiquities Act oh, to declare yeah. this piece of land a national park and thus no one can drill it or strip mine it or what have you. Yeah. Um, uh, which he can't do. Uh, he could have made it a national monument, but not a park, according to the real Antiquities Act. <laughs> so, well, yeah, and um, it it comes about just kind of flash from the blue. And the thing is, it's just like, if you've got your entire staff bent on finding a solution to it, like, hasn't, hasn't anything like this come up yeah. before? Sure, surely. Like, surely you've got to... This- all the best people in the room as you like to, you know, recount yourselves all the time. You're always yeah. going on and on about your qualifications and your credentials and shit. And it takes just yeah. a random, like almost word association level of thinking <laughs> to be like, Oh my God, there's a law that we can use. There's an executive right. power we can use. Right. And that's the other thing. It's very it's a very technocratic Deus Ex machina of like, look, I found a loophole. You know, it's a very, like, I played within the rules, but I found a loophole. It's a very, like, technocratic, centrist, smug way of accomplishing something. Well, and to return to our prior point, I feel like the solution also does not deliver the goods in terms of preserving your political capital. Because once you undertake this unilateral action, the opposition will understand that it is now... A, you're using against them in this instance, and what's going to stop you from using against them in every future instance? Right. Like, the the banking lobby is still going to be outraged because, you know, and the environmentalists aren't going to be pleased, you know, like, you haven't really solved anything here. Well, and you haven't solved your central, like, your central concern is that you have to, you have to frame this. Somehow you have to you have to put it out there and frame it, and so in a way, there really was no good solution waiting in the wings. Because if you had gone any of these directions, the messaging would have been against it, which is a very fatalistic um, right. perspective. But I just can't avoid it because none of these things results in uh, an outcome that is particularly desirable, in spite of the quote unquote win that right. you know, Mr. Bipolar President here is coming down manic about yeah and so and then just to kind of wrap everything up here we um there's also a bit of a uh, cj and danny flirt more throughout this episode it's probably one of the only good and entertaining bits is anytime they're interacting uh that was the only time i didn't want to like die of boredom (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't looking at my phone (laughs) yeah exactly and uh and so and then at the end Josh, and we'll we'll have to include the clip here because it's so perfect and it's the ultimate in sounding profound without saying anything. Uh. Mr. President. Yeah? We talk about enemies more than we used to. What? We talk about enemies more than we used to. I want to mention that. Yeah. Good night, Mr. President. 
And it's just like, what are you even talking about? And what where did this come from? Where? First off, no, you don't. <laughs> and second of off, what? Like, where does this, like, you haven't even referred to these people as anything other than just like a part of the process throughout the entire episode here. It really when... feels like yeah, they entitled the episode Enemies, realized at the end, like, oh shit, we don't actually have anything <laughs> yeah. about enemies, you guys. Um, uh, have Josh say that we're talking a lot about enemies. All right, <laughs> call it a day. Wait, wait, Leo and Sam aren't enemies. They're more like, you know, professional adversaries. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, Hoynes is not the enemy. He's more like a enemy? reluctant collaborator. collaborator. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, who's the enemy here? Oh my god. It's it's just it tries to sound super super deep and it it's so weird because they just did get the one thing I keep criticizing the show about they never get a big win they just got it the scene previous but it's downplayed to hell and back where Bartlett's just like ah great you figured out the antiquities act thing I uh, I knew you'd figure out something but it's not treated like a big win big victory moment really which is also uh, and the way he goes he's just like. The, his tone about Josh's solution almost seems like he was putting it out there to test them. Right. Because he it's starts a- the episode talking about national parks. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. The, the whole... It's this, bad writing. The whole it's thing just real just, bad writing. I, I felt like... It, it's not quite like I was being gaslit the whole time, but it's like, but why? Uh, okay. You know, whatever. I, I guess. And... Yeah, again, I mean, you mentioned, but thank God we got at least a little bit of CJ and Danny time for this yeah. episode because I love Allison Janney and her body language around. Um, oh, she's great. Timothy Busfield is just fantastic, yeah. the, and the whole time she she plays the part perfectly. So that was like a brief shining moment. In, yes. in this episode. Yeah, and that's really the only positive thing I can say about it is like anytime they're on screen, that you know they steal the scenes. Yeah. So it's probably too late for everybody who's listening to this, but don't watch this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, skip this one on your on your rewatches if you're if you're rewatching along. Uh, it's oof, just a bad episode of TV. I mean, at the end of the day. <laughs> and and the good thing is that coming down the pipe, we actually have several very good and yes. interesting episodes. So yeah. Next week. Yeah, and there's just nothing to talk about politically in this one, really, <laughs> ultimately. Yeah, and um, so, I mean, that's pretty much all we've got. I don't know if yeah. um, anything uh, next, else. No, next okay. week's episode is going to be The Shortlist. Uh, and this one, I certainly remember, this is about <laughs> Supreme Court justices. Topical. How topical are we? <laughs> yeah, it also has... Edward James Olmos in it, who is yes. like a fave, and we can talk oh, about so Stand good. and Deliver, and we can talk about Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica. Galactica. Yes. <laughs> so EJO is featured prominently in the next episode, and That's right. we will likely in, enjoy it quite a bit. He, and then he comes up uh, a couple other times too, or at least one more. I think um, he there may be Celestial Navigation is the one where uh, he gets locked up. Oh, this isn't the one where... Oh, no, that's right, no. because this is the one where they're... Okay. This yep, is yep. where they're interviewing him. Okay. I, I remember. Initially. I remember. Yeah. yeah. So, and then... But we'll, we'll talk about that more <laughs> next time. So much, so much to talk about next time. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. And we will catch you guys probably sometime next week. And 
Bye. Send all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on over.